Yeah, it's a, it's a gyrocopter, gyroplane, similar kind of thing. Uh, the, it's, so people are going to think, well, what the hell is that? But actually, it's a mix between a fixed wing and a helicopter. To the untrained eye, you'd look at it and think, well, that's a that's a helicopter. But it's not because the rotors that are above my head were not powered. They spin by the air passing underneath them from my forward motion. Hello and welcome to Salmon Swim Upstream and that was just a snatch of the conversation you're about to hear with Captain Ketch, a remarkable adventurer. More of him later. Andrew Weeder here, your host. Thank you for joining us. We are on episode five and we are gobsmacked, literally gobsmacked with the response we've had to the podcast so far. This fledgling but quietly growing little adventure podcast that is all about inspiring you, dear listener try and uh, alert you to some of the amazing things that are going on out there, some of the challenges that people, not necessarily with much background in them, frankly, are taking on. And one of the consistent themes, actually, with um, the guests we've had and also the guests that are that are coming over the next few weeks is they're pretty much, pretty much all of them, I think, uh, came from behind a desk or from a career that wasn't necessarily ticking all their boxes and just thought, fuck it, I am going to go for this. This event, this discipline, this challenge, and they all pretty much did the same thing, almost all of them, in the face of well-meaning friends and family saying, what are you doing? Uh, what? You want to give up that to do that? And uh, yeah, so I think there's a consistency that they've all kind of decided they're just going to do it in the face of all of that, with all the risks of failure and all the risks of having coming back with their tail between their legs and, you know, have done these amazing events and amazing challenges, which are being articulated via the Salmon Swim Upstream podcast. So we hope you're being inspired by these adventures and by these people. I'm certainly totally thrilled to be the host of this and, and enjoying every single conversation, not least the one today with James Ketchell. Before I move into that conversation and a little bit of an intro to uh, what James has achieved, um, if you've got anybody you know who might be interested in joining us, we'd love to hear from you doesn't have to be a macro Mount Everest type adventure. It could be something quite localized that's inspiring for other people to hear and you know, very transformative, whatever it is that you feel uh, has been achieved. If you're that person or you know someone who you think might be interested in joining us, then please do get them to contact us. We are very keen particularly to hear from non-UK people. We have a lot of listeners from outside the UK. So yeah, get in touch. So, without further ado, I'm going to do a very brief intro. I mean, this guy has got an adventure CV longer than your arm, longer than the longest arm you can imagine. Uh, he did the Atlantic Ocean. He rode the Atlantic Ocean, I should say, on his own, only 110 days. Then he climbed Mount Everest. He's an Everest summiteer, I think is the official term. Cycled around the world. And literally a month ago, stepped out of his gyrocopter cockpit having circumnavigated the world in a gyrocopter of which he's going to explain more shortly he's got some wonderful events coming up he's a super fella i hope you enjoy without further ado i bring you james catchell aka captain ketch well thrilled and excited to welcome james james ketchell how are you mate 
I am fantastic. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, uh, as, as, as our dear listener already knows, as I've gone through a kind of roll call of what you've done, I don't, I don't know re- really where to start with you, James, to be honest. <laughs> um, so, so I'm going to start at the beginning. Uh, I, want, I want to find out what carved this appetite for adventure. Yeah, absolutely. I think when I was young, I, would, I always had an interest in going out, trying to build camps and things and going to places where my parents said, you can't go there. We live near some fields. It, it, all houses are built on it now. But years ago, it was just fields and we had a lane and that lane was called Dead Man's Alley. I don't know why it was called that, but I wasn't allowed to go down it. But I found it interesting to go down it. I had a fascination with building campfires and all that kind of stuff that kids do. But I'd always get shouted at and get in trouble. And then I, I don't know. I've always liked the outdoors, and, and I fell in all of this adventure stuff. I fell into it by accident. I've always wanted to row across the Atlantic, and then after that, all these other things happened by accident. If well, I'm honest. Well, well, let's reel that back a second because yeah. when you say you've always wanted to go across the, row the Atlantic, mm-hmm. when, when did that kind of pop into your head? When I was a teenager, I learned about some. I learned about old sort of explorers crossing the Atlantic and you know Christopher Columbus and I also learned about a couple of guys who rode across the Atlantic years ago and I thought my goodness that's just incredible the concept of rowing across the Atlantic is just unheard of but I when I was a teenager I was very skinny I was I had I was very spotty, so I had no confidence. So I'd get called pizza face at school and Skeletor. And it was difficult. Things were very difficult for me at school. I never really had any confidence at all. And actually, I was very foolish. I left without one GNCSE, and I just wanted to get away from the place. But if, funnily enough, my life kind of turned around a little bit after school. I found, discovered going to the gym and, and that routine and discipline and structure of training. And I became quite addicted to that. And Within two years, I completely changed my, my body and, and the way I look. And that gave me confidence. And then I sort of talked my way into like a sales job. And I had a regular job. And I remember when James Cracknell and Ben Fogel rode across the Atlantic, I was sat in an office watching them on a tracker and dreaming, wishing that was me. But I kept coming up with excuses as to why I wouldn't be able to do that. And I thought, well, if I don't try, I can't fail. And, and that's the worst thing you can ever think of. And without going off too much on a sidetrack, I used to race motorbikes. It was a thing that I did in my spare time. I liked that adrenaline. I liked going fast. Cut a massively long story short, I had a very big accident. Um, I was racing and, and came off the bike at just over 110 mile an hour. And, and unfortunately, the body doesn't bounce particularly well. And I, I broke a lot of bones. And I, could, I, I couldn't walk for about six months. But the doctor, he was just doing his job, but he was actually quite negative. He was kept reiterating that I'm not going to be able to walk again. And it was almost like a light switch moment. I thought, excellent. This is what I've been waiting for. A reason as to why I'm going to row the Atlantic. I needed a reason why I was going to do all my physiotherapy every day when I couldn't really be bothered. And here it was. So I decided I was going to get out of hospital. I didn't have a clue what I was doing or really where to start, but I knew what I wanted to do. And um, I set about raising funds and training. Uh, two years after the accident, I set out and rode across the Atlantic. Um, well, fa- uh, yeah. fa- well fa- fascinating consistency in that your pursuit of kind of local adventures when you were a kid was because 
parents kind of said, don't go down Dead Man's Alley. Yeah. And, and, your, and your ocean row was because the doctor said, you ain't going to, you know, you're not going to recover from this, Jane. So, yeah. So interesting consistency that kind of someone saying to you, no, was the spur to go and do it. Yeah, it, it really was actually. And uh, I remember during my preparation for the row, there was actually not that many people who, who rode the Atlantic at, at the time. Uh, this is going back like 10 years ago now. And I got in contact with a couple of people who'd already you know, did it before me and they were incredibly supportive. But one of the things I noticed very quickly, people who'd never rode the Atlantic in their life and never would were suddenly experts on the subject telling me that I was going to die if I do this and I need to grow up it was the most ridiculous idea that I've ever had and when am I going to stop being silly and just focus on my job and do what real normal people do I, I kid you not I heard that many many times and I learned you know you've got to be very careful of those people they're actually very well-meaning people that aren't actually trying to deny you of an opportunity that human beings have a terrible habit of telling other people what they should and shouldn't be doing. Mm. And you've got to be really careful with, with, with people like that. Um, yeah, and, 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 and conditioned by their own parameters and perceptions and stuff. Correct. Yeah. And they, isn't, isn't, isn't dangerous. Absolutely, and they project yeah. that onto someone else. And that's a very bad trait. You should never do that. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I, and also, no, absolutely. And, and also the other bonus for you, of course, James, of doing that ocean row, was you got to meet my colleague and partner here at Wild Base, uh, uh, Luke Gross. I think it was the same race, wasn't it? A wonderful man, yes. I remember <laughs> him very well. And actually, he was working... I'm not sure if he still is, but he was working at RBS afterwards a few years later and he very kindly uh, got me a talk and I came into to his work and gave a talk. I'd done some other things by then, but yeah, I haven't seen Luke for a while, but he's embarked on a slightly different adventure now, hasn't he? He's a, he's a daddy, I believe. Well, he is. He that is just a, blows me away. So he is indeed. That, he's a, that's yeah. the biggest adventure I think you could ever understand. <laughs> well, I don't know, but I'm guessing it is. <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly fun. It's, it's, it's certainly fun. It has its own issues with stamina and resilience. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he's a strong guy. He uh, yeah, does a lot of his ultra running and all this kind of stuff. He's a, uh, he's a proper fit athlete, really. Well, he is. Well, he is. Well, uh, well, he, he is my colleague here. And I, anybody who's interested in, in following Luke's adventures, uh, he has his own Instagram account, which I shall publicise. But let's get back to you, James Ketchell, or Captain Ketch, at Captain Ketch, I think is, is the Twitter handle. Um, yeah. did, did you have, I mean, you mentioned uh, Cracknell and uh, Ben Fogel, who we have a lot of listeners from outside the UK, James. So they're kind of... Um, oh, okay. Yeah, Cracknell was an Olympic gold medal rower, and, and Ben Fogel was, I think initially, was a... a TV reality star wasn't he Ben? But he yeah, soon right. turned it into into an adventure. Uh, did you have an adventure hero when you were when you were younger? I didn't really. Uh, this sounds so well. Maybe it was a fictional one. I, I was massively into Tintin. Like I <laughs> wanted to be Tintin. I read all the books. I loved watched the programs. I loved Tintin. But my mum and dad would never let me have a dog, and I could never, so I could never call it Snowy. But um, yeah, that was my thing. And then as I got older, you know, of course, you realise Tintin is it's not real. And, and but yeah, um, I like it. I, I think I like now. It. I actually get asked this question quite a lot, and, and, and especially young people ask me this. And actually, I, I actually say to them, listen, there's a lot of amazing people out there, but probably some of the most amazing people you'll ever meet will be the people around you, i.e. your own mum and dad, who work tirelessly, tirelessly every day to put food on your plate and, and give you food and look after you and clothe you. And this is aimed at young people I'm talking to here. And actually, you know what? My parents have been very good to me. So the honest answer is I, I look up to my parents, really, who've dedicated their life to, to bringing me up and teaching me what the correct 
how to behave correctly and morals and things and the right well, mindset. Fabulous. Well, that's fabulous. Mr. and Mrs. Not, Ketch. Mr. Yeah. and Mrs. Ketchell are on the board. They're on the board. Yeah, I'm not really one for watching too much TV and looking up to people on TV and, and things yeah. like that. It's not really yeah. my style. Yeah, well, that's a good call, James. Um, I mean, we've gone through, I've, I've told everybody a, a, a list of your amazing achievements, frankly, too many to go through in, in great deal to the time we have. But I mean, when you look back now, James, at the ones that you've done, what do you, what do you view as the, as the big achievements? Or where, where did things maybe not go as you planned? Well, things didn't go so well. Back in 2015, I was rowing across the Indian Ocean and, and was rescued. I was with another chap. Our boat rowed over and uh, we, and he hit his head and, and we had to be rescued. But it's funny because I remember, I mean, this was after I'd, I'd cycled around the world. This is in 2015. And I didn't really want to come home. I, I was embarrassed. I felt like I'd lost all my credibility. There I was. I, I'd been rescued. But it was the opposite. Everyone wanted me to speak about it. And, and it's funny because you can never, ever see it at the time. But there will always be something good that comes off the back of something not going your way. You'll be down and fed up at the time, but you'll look back and think, well, that was that worked out just fine. And there's always a silver lining around a dark cloud. Mm -hmm. that, that's really true. So that didn't go so well. But you what was, find uh, James, what was it? What, let's drill into that a little deeper because it's a super interesting area. What, what did you learn about yourself from that particular incident? Uh, you, you find out if you can develop the ability to keep going and try to stay happy and motivated you know, although you're not going to be all, all the time because that's not possible but the, the, the crucial thing is if you can develop the ability to just keep going when you don't feel like it you feel like there's no point you, you're wasting your time you're embarrassed or something's not gone your way that that is what determines if actually a successful person or not. You know, you may look at someone who, who's on TV doing all this stuff or a celebrity or someone or, or, or someone who's very wealthy or someone who's at the top of their game and think, my goodness, they're amazing. The actual difference is they have the ability. They're not necessarily smarter than anyone else. They just have the ability to keep going no matter how they feel. And it's doing things when you don't feel like it. If you do things only when you feel like it, you really are not going to get that far in life. And I came back from the Indian Ocean pretty down and fed up. And I tried to keep sort of pushing myself to do various things. And, and eventually my motivation came back. And it's, it's you only find out what you're made of when things are not going your way. When everyone is happy, they're achieving their goals, their bills are paid, they have good relationships, they're, they're, they're training, they're fit. Life is great and anyone can be motivated then, anyone. But really, you find out who you are when things are not going your way and can you still operate when things are not going your way. And I think that's kind of what I found out about the Indian Ocean Row when I got back. Um, I somehow managed to sort of keep going and actually things kind of turned out okay. Nothing in this world can take the place of good old persistence. Talent won't. Nothing's more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius won't. Unrecognized genius is practically a cliche. Education won't. Why, the world is full of educated fools. Persistence and determination alone are all powerful.
Interesting. And, and, and the opposite of that, when you look back upon your various endeavours, which, which, what do you view as the highlights? What do you view as the two or three <sighs> moments, moments that you can reflect on immediately and say that, that was amazing? Probably rowing into English Harbour in Antigua was amazing because I was, I mean, I rode solo, so I was out there a long time. I was one of the last guys to finish. I was out there like 110 days four hours and four minutes not that I was counting right um, but when, when I um, when I when I rode into that harbour oh, it was euphoric it was amazing when I stood on top of the world I didn't get that feeling my brain was just numb to be honest with like a lack of oxygen but I, there was a there was a key moment when I got back home I was lying in hospital because I had quite a nasty lung infection I was ended up climbing Everest and descending with with pneumonia, but I didn't realise at the time until I was diagnosed when I got home. I was lying in that hospital bed and and two doctors who were not working on me, they had nothing to do with me, they made the effort to come into the room and they wanted to shake my hand. Someone told them I just climbed Everest. And at that moment I thought, bloody hell. I have climbed the world's highest mountain. But it's hard to say because I've met so many incredible, wonderful people as I've traveled around the world. And, you know, 99.99% of people on this planet, regardless of their, their country they come from, the language they speak, the skin color they have, the religion they, they practice, uh, 99% of people are incredible. The world is actually full of kind, caring people that, that ultimately, for the most part, actually want to help you. But when you turn on the news, it's all doom and gloom and war and very bad. The world's not actually quite like that. And I've, I've circumnavigated the planet twice now, once on a bike and once in a little aircraft. So I've, I've got a fair you, bit of experience. You, you can, you, yeah, absolutely. You've got some authority about that. Now, the, mo- the, most recent, so the most recent trip you've just touched on, only finished end of September? Yeah, September the 22nd, I got back. I've always wanted to, I've always had a fascination with flying. But again, I actually, ironically, I didn't really have the confidence to do anything about it. I always thought that flying was thought for, for people that are highly intelligent and have lots of money. And I don't really fit the bill with, with any of that. But actually, it's, it's not true. It's actually really not that difficult to learn how to fly. It really isn't. Uh, if you want it and, and you, you do all you save up and you do your lessons and things, it's, it's quite it's quite achievable. Um, um, and, and this was on a gyrocopter, James. Yeah, it's it's, it's a gyrocopter, gyroplane, similar kind of thing. Uh, the, it's, so people are going to think, well, what the hell is that? But actually, it's a mix between a fixed wing and a helicopter. To the untrained eye, you'd look at it and think, well, that's a that's a helicopter, but it's not because the rotors that are above my head were not powered. They spin by the air passing underneath them from my forward motion. And I have an engine at the back and a propeller at the back, which, which gives me thrust that pushes me forward. And then the wind underneath the rotor just causes it to spin. Have you ever dropped uh, one of the, I think it's a sycamore leaf off a tree and you drop it and it whirls down. Like yeah, it yeah, spins yeah. Around. It's like that. Yeah. That's the kind of concept of how it works. Okay. Um, and so, and so no, fascinating. And, and so how high are you? What's the kind of flight? Uh... So I, the, the aircraft will fly up, I mean, right up to about 10,000 feet. But I generally flew about 1,000 feet above ground. So like when I was in Wyoming, uh, in America, I flew, I flew around the whole world and, and I actually 
landed in every single state in America, excluding wow. Hawaii. Uh, but Wyoming, the ground was at eight and a half thousand feet. So I was flying at like 9,000, nearly 10,000 feet actually for most of that. So it's quite high, but I was only a thousand feet above the ground. So the, the advantage with gyrocopters, and mine was an open cockpit aircraft, so it doesn't have a, a, an enclosed cockpit as such. It's like flying a motorbike in the sky. It's incredible, <laughs> you know, but no one's going to pull out on you. Yeah, and I had a, a goal to, to speak, in every, uh, speak in a school in every country I, I passed through, in much the same way that I did when I cycled around the world. And I actually achieved that. I was very, very pleased. And it was magical. I remember I was in Siberia with you, speaking through a translator to some kids and they were staring up listening to me with their jaws open as I was showing them pictures of Everest and, and, and all these other places and, and it was really just sharing stories of fun and adventure trying to get them to believe that actually the world is an incredible place there's there's an abundance of opportunity out there all you've got to do is take the first step and just get out there and, and make a bit of an effort the hardest part of anything is just taking the first step and sort of committing to do it Really? Well, it, well, it, well it's, fa- I mean, it's fabulous. With all this geopolitical nonsense that goes on, that you can, you, you know, this English guy can land with his gyrocopter in the middle of Siberia and go and speak to the kids. I mean, it's just, just fabulous. I mean, how many, what, what was the distance of each kind of leg of the journey? So each leg of the journey was sort of varied, ranging from a short day would be about 200 nautical miles. The longest day was 500 nautical miles. Now, the gyro only travels at about 80 knots. Um, so the, the longest days would be about five to six hours flying. Now, that doesn't sound like a long time because you're thinking about when you fly, you're thinking about sitting in an airliner where it's all relaxed and, you know, whereas this thing is, it's really like in your face. There's it's the wind, it's cold, there's no autopilot. You really are flying it. Um, it's, it's quite small, but, um, no, it's, it's, you know, yeah, it was, it was amazing, but it's, it's a distant memory already. And I I kid you not, I've been back five weeks and it's gone. You know, the novelty, when you get back from these things, and this is the second time I've been, this is the third time I've been away for a long period of time. And actually the, it's all very euphoric and lovely when you get back. But uh, after a few days, no, I kid you not, the novelty really is gone. Your family and Friends don't talk about it anymore. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Well, you've done it. It's it's now in the past. Back to so, normal life. Yeah, well, I was going to well, I was going to ask you, James. Actually, what, how do you feel when you're kind of not involved in one of these? Well, I'm trips? always. Uh, here's the thing. My life has sort of changed a little bit, and over time, I've sort of accidentally fallen into doing this full time. Really, I'm a full time speaker, and I'm now working on another project in 2022. Big project, which is going to be great. Um, so I'm always involved in this now. If I'm not away doing something, I'm planning something, or I'm, you know, I've got the speaking tour, it starts this weekend, or I'm, I'm, I'm always speaking or doing something. So uh, my situation has changed in that I don't go back into a normal job. I'm, I'm always working on, on something. But that's just how I am, you know. And at, at 36, no, I'm 37 years old now. You know, if you haven't found out kind of how you tick and what makes you happy, roughly by 37, you've got a little bit of a problem. And I, I know what makes me happy. I know that working towards a particular guy, I mean, in 10 years, I don't know, my, I could be, a, may not be able to do any of this stuff, but I know I will do something because I have to work towards a goal. 
otherwise I'm completely lost and, and to be honest, quite down and fed up. Yeah. But that's just me. I know, I know how I operate and I know myself quite well now. And I well, well you've, had, you've had a lot of trips to think about these things, James. I guess haven't you? You've got a lot of solitude to think about these things as well. Yeah. Joy is a different thing. It's something else. Joy is not a choice. It's not a response to some result. It's a constant. Joy is the feeling that we have from doing what we are fashioned to do, no matter the outcome. I'm going to move up, maybe forward to actually how you select projects, James, because I'm interested uh, yeah, in the, in the I'm interested in the process of how you select them and how you prepare. And also, you've done so many things across different disciplines. Interested in the, the consistencies of preparation, but also the differences. Okay, so how do I select things? Uh, the honest answer is I don't wake up one morning and say, um, "Today, am I going to plan to row the Atlantic, climb Everest, or cycle? Which one am I going to?" The honest, it all sort of morphs into one. So here is a perfect example for you. I've circumnavigated the globe via uh, air and land. So there's only one more left, sea. So you know, a couple of years ago, I wasn't really thinking about sailing around the world. But, but now I am. So the, 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 what they just, I don't sit there and decide I'm going to do this. It just, it, they're just things that naturally happen. I was invited out. I don't know if you know this. I was invited to, to climb Everest. I didn't, I didn't wake up and say, I'm going to climb Everest today. And, you know, it wasn't a lifelong dream to climb Everest. I was very lucky. I rode the Atlantic and I did something that I never did before pushed myself quite hard and off the back of that doors of opportunity just opened up and an opportunity came up to go out to Everest when I got back from that I decided that I was then going to cycle around the world and there's been a bit of a theme usually things happen once I'm lying in hospital I decide what to do <laughs> thankfully that's not been the case recently but uh, yeah so okay so deciding what I do it's it, they, they just naturally happen I don't wake up one day and say I'm going to do this and, and here's another example. I had an invite. I'm flying around the world again in 2021 with a friend of mine uh, in his helicopter. His, I don't own a helicopter, but, but he has access to one. And it's a great opportunity, too good an opportunity to turn down. So basically what I'm saying is the more you do and the more you put yourself out there, the more doors of opportunity will open up and the more selection you will naturally have on where you go next, basically. So that's kind of how things just naturally come around. Um, and I have done multiple discipline things, but I'm, it's not, all of the things that I've managed to do are not that difficult. You don't have to be a professional rower to row across the Atlantic. In fact, I'm sure Luke will tell you, rowing is the easiest part. It's all in, in, in the mind, really, and being able to survive and endure the environment. Everest, you don't... <laughs> Now, this is a grey area because Everest gets a lot of bad press, unfortunately. Um, and I did, I had climbed another mountain and did quite a lot of training to get ready for Everest. So I wasn't just some lunatic walking up it who'd never been on a mountain before. But it's not a technical climb. You don't have to be a, a mountaineering expert to, to climb Everest. It's really just a case of having the right people around you and being able to acclimatize. It's that that will determine whether you, you, you get to the top or not. Um, and you know, when I cycled around the world, you know, I wasn't a professional cyclist when I left. You, know, you, you get fit as you go. And when I got back, I was extremely fit. So uh, everything that I do, you can have time to train for. But the one thing I will absolutely tell you, and I feel like I'm fairly well qualified to say this, 
preparation is absolutely everything. And, and that was the case with flying around the world. You see, when you're riding a bicycle, you, 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 can, you can push yourself quite hard. Even if you're not that fit, you can do it. But when you're flying an, air, an aircraft, you need to know what you're doing. Because if you start pushing things and making mistakes, it could be deadly. You're not just going to fall off a bike. You'll crash the aircraft and die. So there was much more planning involved in my, my around-the-world flight that I just completed. But it's like anything, really. You need to live and breathe what it is that you're, you're doing. You know, if you're saying, well, I've got this goal because I, I want to do this, but actually I, I can't really do it because I need to do this, this, and this. It's all about priorities, really. And, and even if you don't know how to do something, you can find people that have done what you want to do and they will, they will help you. They absolutely will. Yeah. You know, and, and another thing is, you know, quite often people say, I'd love to do that if I have the money. And I'd say, mate, do you think that I had all the money to just buy this aircraft? Uh, of course I didn't. But you go out and you find sponsorship. You find a way to make, either get another job or find sponsorship. There's, there is always a way to find money. There's actually a lot of money out there. It's just you've got to get to the right people. Well, well, James, let me let me stop you there because actually I've got I've got sponsorship next on my list. Oh, so you're you're, sorry. Reading, you're reading my mind. No, no, not at all. Okay. Because the, the obvious question from those that are not familiar with this world is, you know, how the hell do you fund all this stuff? Um, and of course, it's through sponsorship. So, I mean, just talk me very briefly through that process. I mean, what who who do you go to? What do you tell them? What's what's the process? Okay, I'll, I'll tell you something really simple. Uh, so I have this thing, and I call it the four W's. Okay, and that is the first one is what are you? So you need to put a proposal together. What are you doing? The second one is why are you doing it? Now I cannot emphasize enough on that is the most important. We live in a world today where you cannot say I'm doing it because it's there. People would just say piss off mate i'm not interested there has to be a really valid reason why you are doing something a compelling reason and then the third one is what can you do for a sponsor so i take money from you what am i going to do for it then the fourth one is what do you want so how much money do i want so you've got what are you doing why are you doing it what can i give what do i want if you can remember those four things and you put a proposal together and you send it out to thousands of companies, make thousands of calls, and you hustle and hustle and hustle, someone, you will inspire someone to, to sponsor you. That is a fact. And I, I, I get a lot of people come to me now and say sponsorship is, is practically impossible now. It's exhausted. That's not true. You then, you say to these people, well, okay, how many companies have you spoken to? Oh, I've only spoken to 50 and I say, mate, come back when you've at the very least emailed 500 and had made 500 telephone calls to, 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 to follow all that up. And, and that, that's how I did it. I was just so proactive. I, I was just obsessed with contacting companies, asking them to, to sponsor me. You know, I had a great charity that I was climbing for. I, that, that's the only way you'll, 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 you'll make it happen. Now, funding is now coming from wealthy philanthropists as well, but they're very protected. You have to know people to get introduced to these people. But honestly, there really is a lot of opportunity out there. But, you know, it's hard because you've got to work for it. And, and in terms of who to contact, 
I probably wouldn't even waste your time going to Red Bull or Richard Branson. Why? Because everyone and their dog thinks the same thing. So think outside of the box. Any company, even if they make toilet roll, would love to be involved with a project that's about pioneering new things, inspiring young children to pursue their own goals and dreams, raising money for, for a great charity. Companies are also looking for content as well. And when and you're providing them content that they can link to, <coughs> maybe that you've got good credibility and, 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 and you already have a background of expeditions or, or success in some area that they can cling on to. Also, if you have a good social media following, and you know, companies will latch on to that. It's not that difficult to get funding. It just takes work. And actually, I made a video. It's on my YouTube channel. I'm, I come from a sales background. I come from a very old school, aggressive sales background. That's my job. I did that for, for quite some time. And that really stood me in good stead. And so some people would say, well, you kind of already had the confidence. You knew how to put a business proposal together. You knew how to pick up the phone. You knew how to call people. But that doesn't matter if you don't. Just start now start now and, and and i get kids come to me all the time saying i'm not sending out my sponsorship emails yet because i want to get the perfect uh sponsorship proposal put together and i and, they, and they're waiting and waiting and you can't wait you've got to just do it and, and, and be ultra proactive and there's a lot of people i've read books on this and there's a lot of people that that the outline uh, the right way and the wrong way. The truth is, if you get the result that you want, there is no right or wrong way, really. Yeah. Um, uh, but what's worked for me is just being extremely proactive, extremely genuine, and honest with people. Always be honest as well. Um, yeah, that's how I fund them, to be honest. Well, now, I am lucky because I have a bit of credibility now. So that at least gets me a foot in the door. But it, I promise you, it's still just as hard to, to actually convince someone to, to, to actually write a check. But it's, but it's possible. And the time that you can't be bothered to do it, the time that you think, oh, I've exhausted this now, let's just give up. That's the time when you need to do just a couple more because at that point, that's what will separate the people that get the money and make these things happen and the people that don't and, and come up with an excuse, basically. It well, sounds a bit rude. But yeah, that's just well, it goes, it goes. It goes back to your your point as well. You know about <clears throat> developing the ability to keep going. You know, it's mm. keep going on all levels, isn't it? Mm. Prep, yeah. sponsorship, and the and the event itself. Um, well, do, just to give us some time frame, because I know you've got this amazing trip coming up in twenty twenty two. So, yeah. and that's going to require some significant funding, I'm imagining. So, yeah. just to, to tell us tell us what the trip is, James, and also just give us a timeline of how you would go about fundraising for that. Okay, so in 2022, I'm working on a project to sail around the world. It's not going to be non-stop. It will be split in, into legs. I mean, I won't be coming home until I've actually returned and I've sailed around the world. But it isn't just me. I'm not sailing solo. <clears throat> it's going to be a few other people on the yacht. But I'm taking, for each leg, I'm taking two young people. Now, they're going to be between 16 and 23. And these are going to be people that... Uh, on a bit of a knife edge in life. They're either going to fall the wrong way and end up in jail or, or they're going to use the project to springboard off in the right direction. They're going to get that sense of belonging, that sense of achievement, that sense of uh, they, accomplishment that they actually are much better and more capable than they think they are. So I'm looking at working with some, some, some potentially... Sort of, I'm not really sure the right way to describe it. People that struggle a bit in life, perhaps slightly sort of you know, youth offenders, 
people that are good people, but they, they are lacking direction. They need a bit of help and they don't really have role models. They don't really have anyone guiding or mentoring them. I'm going to work with a charity I'm going to identify these people because it's not that easy and I'm taking all the risk here. I want to give them an opportunity to do something amazing and, and sail part way around the world. We'll be involved with the project of, of sailing around the world. They'll do it with me. Whenever we get to a stop, as in, as in their leg is finished, there we will also do some speaking in some local schools and those kids, well, those young adults will also do that along with, with me. And it's just, it's giving people who wouldn't ordinarily get an opportunity like this the opportunity to do something potentially life-changing that they, I hope that they will remember for the rest of their life and say, you know what? I remember that lunatic James. He helped me out. We did this great thing. And actually off the back of that, I'm now doing this, this, I've got a great job. I'm really happy. And yeah, I, I remember that guy. That's really all I'm trying to do. I mean, it's not really about me saying, look at me, look at me. Oh, I generally don't really like that if I'm honest. Um, I mean, I'm lucky when, when I do, sail around the world i'll be the only guy on the planet that circumnavigated the globe by air sea and land but it, it's not it doesn't really matter to, to be honest uh, so that's what i'm up to in terms of what i'm doing and, and effectively why i'm doing it um but the timeline it's pretty much starts now really I've just, my speaking tour starts this saturday that goes on for a couple of weeks after that i've got to get my head down and write my next book um, I've allowed myself six months to, to write that book. But then after that, I've got to write some children's books. You know, I, earlier I spoke about Tintin. Well, I'm writing some books with aimed at kids, and it's going to be The Adventures of Captain Catch. And it's, it's real. It's real. Awesome. It's like, and it's going to be illustrated, you know, so similar to Tintin. But this is, not, this is, this is, this is real life. So, uh, and I'm, I think, I think it's a good opportunity. I think it's something that feels right. It fits with me. It just has that nice ring, you know, the adventures of Captain Ketch stuck in the Atlantic. <laughs> but, you know, and there'll be series, you know, you've got the row, Everest, the cycle, the rescue and flying, all these crazy, amazing adventures. And it'll all be based on true stories. And, and, I, and I know that parents, if they think their child will read that with, without a shadow of a doubt, a parent would, would think nothing of buying that, that book for that child. Well, I don't know about that, parents, Catch. I think I'll be buying it. It sounds, <laughs> it sounds awesome. Yeah, so that's and, – and so, so whilst I'm juggling all those things, my speaking tour starts this Saturday, and that goes on for a couple of weeks. After that, I have to write the next book. Uh, once that book is, is written, I'll be then talking about writing my, my children's books, which is The Adventures of Captain Catch. They're real life. Uh, based on my Atlantic and Everest and things. And they'll be illustrated very, very similar to Tintin. So that's something I'm really looking forward to doing. But, uh, but ultimately, the funding and pulling the project together, for the 2022 project has actually already started. I've got some people that are, I mean, I'm just one guy on my own juggling a whole load of stuff. But this project is bigger. I need to bring people on board to the project to help me make things happen. I've got a meeting with a charity in Belgium next month so there's lots of stuff going on really but this is the thing when you're doing something that you love you're not, not working you wake up in the morning and you're like right let's go 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 and that's a very good feeling that's a brilliant feeling mate well on that on, james on that happy note i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap it up um but i want to do I just, just a couple of things so we are going to put the link on this podcast for speaking to which starts on saturday so we're going to have to get the podcast out before then and you go to a variety of places around the country including truro which is my old 
my old patch yeah. down in Cornwall. Um, if someone wants to get hold of you, Ketch, about any of these things, about sponsorship, about the trips, about speaking to us, the books, how's the best way to get hold of uh, get hold of you? Well, um, on, on my website, jamesketchell.net, just email me. Go onto the contact page. My email is james at jamesketchell.net. And sometimes I'll be a bit slow, but I will always, always, always reply to someone. I wouldn't be where I am today if people hadn't got back to me and helped me. So I'll always pass that favor on. Well, James, I appreciate you so much coming and joining us. It's been a fascinating talk, a really, really fascinating one. Uh, and good luck with all of your, not at all, good luck with all your future adventures. All right, good stuff. See you soon. Thanks, James. There you have it, James Ketchell, Captain Ketch. Thank you so much for your time. And well, amazing stuff, amazing stuff that got under the skin of not only the adventures that he has done, but also how you set them up, how you get the sponsorship. And essentially, there's no excuses. You want to do it, go for it and uh, have the time of your life. Thank you, James. And if you want to get in touch with James, uh, we're going to put the links for his speaking tour and also for his website. And obviously, he's about to embark on this amazing 2022 adventure. So, Anything you can do to help him in terms of sponsorship uh, on that, I'm sure James will be uh, super interested to hear from you. And uh, you've got the cut of his jib. He's a remarkable fella and will respond, I'm sure, to any and every point of contact. We have a world record paddleboarder coming up for podcast six. It, you know, it just it's just endless value we're providing you here from Salmon Swim Upstream. Until then, get some adventure into your life. Thanks for listening. <laughs>